after a wild weekend, the London Knights go two for three in a three and three weekend, which has the London Knights for six points. Episode 83 of the Night Shift. Kyle Gamard, Mike Stubbs. You can follow us wherever you want to listen to your podcast, whether it is on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, whatever the case may be. Follow us online for all the updates. Mike, of course, posts all some of the calls that he makes during the game as the voice of the London Knights. You can find him at Stubbs980, myself at Kyle Gramard. And Mike, like I mentioned, three games, three days for the London Knights, two at home, one on the road, all very close contests, all very low scoring contests. And it started off Friday night against Brantford. It did. A second straight 3-2 overtime win. In fact, the Knights went three games in a row, winning 3-2. to two. And we'll have to talk on the podcast whether an overtime win is more exciting than a win in, say, the final 20 seconds. I'm starting to lean toward the win in the final 20 seconds, and I'll tell you why. We're also going to hear from Scott Salmon. He is the Senior Vice President of Hockey Operations for Hockey Canada because we're not too far away from Canada announcing their selection roster for the World Junior Hockey Championship. And Scott Salmon was in town in London and some other Hockey Canada executives, and they were doing some scouting. And so they were looking at guys like Isaiah George and Jackson Edward and Oliver Bonk and Denver Barkey and Easton Cowan. And on Kitchener's side, Adrian Misseljevic and Carson Rakoff and Matt Andonovsky probably, Jackson Parsons in goal. So getting a look at some of those 18- and 19-year-olds who would be eligible to go to that selection camp. So we'll hear what they look for and how you balance 18- and 19-year-olds and about Hockey Canada and goaltending. Goaltending always seems to be a concern these days. Who's going to be, Kyle, the next goalie on Canada's Olympic team if the NHL goes back to the Olympics? I still don't think there's a clear-cut choice. No, and, and you know what's funny? I've had conversations with this with multiple people about, okay, who are your three? Who's your starter? Who's your backup? And who's your emergency? And it's been so clear for so many years in the years past. I mean, it, look at the 2002 team where they had Marty Brodeur, they had Curtis Joseph, and and just an absolute whirlwind. They had Ed Belfort. I don't even know if he was on the roster or not. And then you look over in the next year and they had, you know, Brodeur again, and it was Carey Price and Marc-Andre Fleury. And now it's, Kind of up. Like, is it a Tristan Jari? Is it Jordan Bennington? Is it Carter Hartz? A lot of people would kind of irk and go, maybe not. Maybe it's um, Devin Levi of the Buffalo Sabres. Maybe he <laughs> comes to his own in the next couple of years. But that is kind of the only unknown. And you look at every other uh, country, you would say, and well, the United States is just loaded with goaltenders with Connor Hellebuck and Jake Ottinger and Thatcher Demko. Russia's got Vasilevsky and Shesterkin and Sorokin. And Canada's kind of the one that's up in the air right now. But nevertheless, uh, I am really hoping that Olympic hockey will be returning NHL players to the events. We are also going to be talking goaltending by hearing from Owen Wilmore, who made his first start in Owen Sound and squared up against Colby Barlow, one of the top shooters in the OHL. And he'll talk about that and the longest 17 and a half seconds, maybe, of his hockey career. So that's coming up a little later in the show. But Kyle, let's start with Brantford. And we can start with a goalie. And his name is Mateo Drobak. He had a career-high 52 saves. The London Knights made a little change to the way they're working their defensive system. And going into the game that they played on Saturday, if you go back through the game against Ottawa and the game against Brantford, the Knights had allowed four goals against in two games. One of them had gone off a stick and into the London Knight net. One of them had gone off a skate and into the London Knight net, both 
completely unintentional. I believe they were both knights, sticks, and skates. And then one of the four was a dump-in that hit a stanchion and wound up in the back of the net. So the Knights had basically given up one goal in those two games out of those four goals. The defensive system has been working very well. Scoring goals has not been as easy for the London Knights. Mateo Drobak made it tough on them. The power play was just maybe gripping the stick a little too tight. They broke through with a power play goal on the Sunday game against Kitchener. So we'll see if that carries over into another 3-3 three and three this week. But Mateo Drobak was exceptional, and the Knights ended up having to go to overtime against Brantford, a team they had beaten 5-1 to one in the first meeting. And what do you know? It's Easton Cowan and Max McHugh who combine for the game winner for a second straight time against Ottawa. It was McHugh feeding Cowan for Dale Hunter's 908th victory. And then on the Friday night game, November 3rd, it was Cowan feeding McHugh. Slot. Cowan is there to intercept. Now it's Cowan and McHugh, two on one. Cowan across the blue line right side to McHugh. Scores! Max McHugh wins it in overtime, three to two. That was Max McHugh's overtime winner. And we talked with Easton Cowan and Max McHugh about the fact that they'd set each other up in consecutive overtime winners. And we asked Max whether he knew on the first one that he had against Ottawa, where he had the puck going into the Ottawa zone, whether he knew he was going to pass it to Easton Cowan. Um, I had a pretty good idea once I got it at the blue. Um, you know, I kind of just realized, you know, I didn't think I was going to beat the guy wide. And, um, you know, I know he was obviously a fast player, so he was going to beat this guy up the ice. So I just had to lay it out. Um, he did the rest. Easton, last night, two-on-one, you have the puck. Did you know you were going to pass to Max the whole time? Yeah, obviously, you know, I fell there, and Branford came down three-on-two, and then luckily they threw a blind pass, ended up right on my stick. So uh, we, we were both out of gas, and we've been out there for a long time, and uh, I knew what I gave it to me, put it in the back of the net, so that was a great finish by him. Max, what's it like to score a goal like that in a place like Budweiser Gardens? Yeah, it's unreal. Um, obviously, there's 10,000 fans, you know, yelling after you score. So, um, you know, to do it at home is definitely uh, more special than to do it on the road. Easton, when you look at three on three, how much has that overtime changed? Are there is it, is it a different game now than maybe even a couple of years ago when you were playing it? Yeah, I think it is different, obviously. And, you know, we play man-on-man, five-on-five. So I think when it comes down to three-on-three, three, we're ready for that man-on-man man and just kind of, uh, you know, when to attack, when to bring it back. Uh, like, you know, we scored against Ottawa. They were changing. And then, uh, you know, we almost caught them a couple times there against Brantford there. So I feel like, you know, we do a lot of battle drills, one-on-one, two-on-two. So I think that helps a lot. Easton Cowan and Max McHugh, three-on-three three overtime. It is man-on-man. Man. That's been the Knights' defensive system the last few games. And again, it has really clamped down. And in Owen Sound, Kyle, another game, again, was really, really tight. Another 2-2 nearly going into overtime. And of course, with 17 seconds remaining, Sam O'Reilly, peanuts, scores the eventual game-winning goal. The celebration was fantastic. The fire was there. Okay, and you talked about it before the, uh, the beginning of the podcast, Mike. What's the more exciting of the two? 
I have been in person for the last two overtime victories. I got to tell you, the one in Ottawa was about as loud as I've heard Budweiser Gardens all season long, maybe because that was the game where London had been had lost a couple and it was Dale Hunter's 908th victory as a head coach, putting him second all time in OHL history. But for some reason, that game and that overtime goal amplified it. But I heard, I heard the crowd, and there was still some people cheering in Owen Sound when Sam O'Reilly found a way to give the Knights a three-two lead. <laughs> Where do you stand on that? I, I'm still leaning overtime, but I could be swayed. I think the thing that I look at, and I almost go back to Mason McTavish scoring late for the Anaheim Ducks in an NHL game, and this started making me think about it. When you're in three-on-three overtime, things are slower and more methodical. Every once in a while, it'll pick up and then it'll fly back and forth, but. The guys are are playing a different style almost. And you know that there is either going to be a goal or a shootout. And you're just waiting to see when that happens. And I think in the case of Sam O'Reilly's goal with 17.5 seconds left, you didn't know it was going in. So it's more of a surprise, which almost makes it more exciting. And so Sam O'Reilly gets a pass from Easton Cowan. The key on that game-winning goal was Easton Cowan going into the offensive zone and then bringing the puck right back out. And it was it was maybe something to, to kill some time, but we ended up talking with Easton Cowan and Sam O'Reilly about the goal. So let's take you back through it from their perspective. Cowan across the red line. He's in across the Owen Sound blue line. Easton Cowan tied the game. Got break out there by Bonk and... You know, O'Reilly to get it to me, I brought it in the zone. Didn't really like what I saw. You know, their defenders were all over us, so kind of brought it out. And He'll skate out to center. The Knights would like to basketball this and take the clock almost all the way down. Cowan to O'Reilly. Uh, we all attacked the speed, and Peanut was open, yelled for it. And in across the Owens Adler, shoots. He scores! He scores! Sam O'Reilly! He came back, kind of bought us some time, and then... Cal saw that they kind of got mixed up there, those two D, and then he found me. I saw that they were mixed up too, and then kind of saw that the goalie was cheating a bit, so picked my side and just shot it. With 17.5 seconds left, the London Knights have gone up 3-2. to two. Sam O'Reilly and Easton Cowan on that game-winning goal in Owen Sound, and the key being when Easton Cowan didn't like what he saw, saw no opening, and decided, I'm just going to carry back into center ice. When he did that, he moved to the left side of the ice. And Sawyer Bolton mentioned this one time in an interview that he was left open because Easton Cowan was on one side of the ice. And he said, when a first-round pick has the puck on one side of the ice, he kind of draws a lot of attention. And I was able to get to the other side. Same thing happens here. Both defensemen move toward Cowan as he's coming up the ice. And Sam O'Reilly recognizes that, goes way wide right. Cowan sees that, gives it to O'Reilly, and he's got a lane to the net because, again, Cowan drew that attention. That's where that goal came from. And then the finish by Sam O'Reilly was outstanding. And it's funny, too, what, what players do when they've noticed that a guy like Easton Cowan can draw the attention of multiple guys and the space that it opens up for other players. And of course, this year, Sam O'Reilly is going into his draft year where, you know, he doesn't have the quote first round pedigree that Easton Cowan does and him being able to take advantage of something like that. And even on the goal where he sets up Max McHugh, you know, Easton Cowan, at the, even at the end of a shift, 
has the puck and he can shoot it and everyone is drawing attention to him. He finds a way to get the puck over to McHugh and McHugh scores a game winner as well. But it's the Knights starting to figure out and learn which players are gaining more attention and which players benefit from the increased space around them. And Sam O'Reilly seems to be one of those guys. Before we leave Owen Sound and London, we've got to hear from Owen Wilmore, who has such a great disposition. Before the game, he was fist bumping with his cousin in Owen Sound. He's about to go on the ice for warm-up, and he's getting the fist bumps in with his cousin and some of his teammates who were there from St. Thomas who were part of the Silver Stick tournament that was going on. But here is Owen on the save that he had to make coming across to his right late in the game that preserved a 2-2 tie at that point. And then the last 17 and a half seconds. Oh, and congratulations on a, a great uh, victory last night. Uh, when you're facing uh, Colby Barlow, uh, you know he's not there to pass necessarily. How do you prepare for his shot? I mean, it's no different than any other player. Obviously, he has a great shot, a really good pull, but it's just you really got to be dialed in on that and be aware when he's on the ice. A really good what pull? Yeah, changes angle. So you have to make sure you're aware and you're not just flat because if you're flat, you pull it right around you and go by. And he uh, will release it from different spots too, right? Some Close to the body? Out, yeah. Out. yeah, he'll shoot from basically anywhere. <laughs> and when you, uh, which one was harder? There was a one late third uh, that you just maybe just sold out. It was just a reaction, right? And then there was the one in the dying seconds. Which uh, was your favorite? Um... I don't know if I have a favorite. Uh, I know the one in the dying seconds. I was definitely pretty worried when they came down on that. I was like, uh oh. That was a that was a long seventeen seconds. London Knights goalie Owen Wilmore talking about his time in Owen Sound. First start for him in Owen Sound as we move on to the Kitchener Rangers and the London Knights to close out the weekend because the Rangers have had a lot of good scorers. Usually top three in the league, three of four, four of five they've had. So let's take stock of this. The Knights held the leading scorer in the OHL without a goal. So that's Carson Rakoff. He had 17 goals in 15 games coming in. They held him without a goal. They held the second leading scorer in the OHL, Hunter Brostevich, without a point. But then the new second leading scorer in the OHL, Matthew Sopp, winds up doing the damage. And Kyle, yes, you know, the Knights are three and three. That's something every team goes through. Some teams are going to be more rested than others. But sometimes in those three and three, the third game will see you make maybe a few more mental mistakes. Things just don't work out like you want them to. Early second period, there's a turnover at the opposition blue line. The Knights have just scored on the power play. They come out still with some power play time left, and Matthew Sopp takes that the rest of the way down the ice, and he scores to make it 3-1. And the Knights were just battling uphill all night long, and that's what it felt like. It was just a slog to try and get back. You get to within a goal, but you never find a way to get that second goal. And with that, Kitchener full marks for the win. They're a good team, and it is, it's wild how you've lost Francesco Pinelli, you've lost Francesco Arcuri, you lost Danny Jilkin, you've lost a lot of players, you lost players on defense, and they've just had guys step into those roles. And they're a tough team to face. Jackson Parsons is very good in net, well coached. So watch Kitchener to stay where they are. I mean, you would think, ah, you know, they made some moves last year, gave up some players. They're much younger. Maybe they battle for a playoff spot or battle for home ice this year. I think they're going to be battling for the division, having watched them, Kyle. How about you? 
Well, I, and I totally agree with that. And and you've just seen, like you mentioned, the players that have taken over Hunter Brusevich on the back end has just had a phenomenal start to the season. Uh, stop with just a beautiful goal uh, to make it three, one where he takes that pass, drives the net, a beautiful backhand. And like at one point, the, the top four point getters in the OHL were all on one team. Now that may or may not stay throughout the course of the year, but they're firing on all cylinders and they're doing so early on. This was a team that maybe you didn't think they were going to get off to this hot of a start, but they have shown that they're here. And I feel like they've shown that they're legit too. And it always helps when you have a veteran goaltender in Jackson Parsons who played very well on Sunday against the London Knights. But I, I look at them and, and, the same thing. I, I agree with you. I think they're going to be battling for the division and for the London Knights. You know, it's tough to come off of a three days and three game stretch, especially when the first two games were so tight. The first game goes to overtime on Friday. The second game is a 2-2 battle and you score with 17 seconds left where the te- the intensity builds up almost a little bit more in those tighter games. There wasn't a game this weekend for the London Knights where it was a 5-2 or 6-1 victory where they could kind of cruise, rest some of their bigger guys. Like you're playing your horses all game long, especially in the overtime session on the Friday. It was either Easton Cowan and Denver Barkey, or it was Casper Halton in and Max McHugh and Sam O'Reilly was out there. And then it was right back to the big guns again. And I just think eventually you run out of steam playing that much hockey. They'll have some, a little bit more rest this week and then another uh, busy weekend for them coming up as well. But full marks to Kitchener for coming into London on the road and taking a 4-2 victory, kind of separating a little bit more and I'm looking forward to more games between these two teams. I don't know about you. Well, we got five of them, so we'll get our wish. <laughs> Last thing that we should mention, the Jacob Julian penalty is a good example, I think, of when instant replay can be an issue. So Jacob Julian gets a penalty when he is on a back check and at the end finishes a check on Carson Rakoff. Now, Jacob Julian did get his stick up into Carson Rakoff as they collided along the end boards. That's there. He ended up with a five-minute major for cross-checking. And if this was a five-minute major for a check to the head, okay, I I get it. His his hands, his stick came up. I get that. Five-minute major for cross-checking makes me think that when you go to the iPad, as the officials did, and you're able to look at it frame by frame by frame, and you're able to see, yeah, okay, the stick did make contact in that way. That is a cross-check. I think that's where instant replay loses something because if you look at that play, and maybe I'm biased because I know Jacob Julian, and Jacob Julian is not out to hurt somebody. He's out to play hard, but he's not out to injure somebody. He's not going to do anything dirty intentionally. He's just not. And so in this case, when you break it down frame by frame, I think you know you can find evidence, but if you look at the play continuously and and you look at it flow through, you're realizing he's just meaning to take this guy out along the end boards. If his stick came up, give him a two-minute minor. Sure. But five minutes? That one I found a little surprising. Well, you weren't alone either. Obviously, a lot of the fans had that same mindset, but I remember I I also went back and watched it too, and I totally get the the sense of the the instant replay. There are times where it comes into great fruition and, and helps significantly, but it's tough when you see a play in real time and you see the dramatics of how it happens. And when you go back and you watch it in slow motion outside of an, uh, an easy offside call, it's a lot tougher to determine the volatility, the significance and the intent of a play when you've slowed it down frame for frame and you're stopping and starting and pausing things for 10 seconds at a time. Again, I think instant replay is good. 
when it gets to a point where it feels like it's maybe being abused and it gets overused, that is where I think, Mike, you're talking about getting into a little bit of problems. And then a player like Jacob Julian, who we, we talked about, he's not that type of player. He has no intent on doing any, those you know negative things to op- opposing players. I think he was, he kind of fell victim of that situation. The team fell victim due to a five minute major penalty and was a, was a big turning point in the game. I feel it was. And the Kitchener Rangers did score on one of those. And advantage. And if you if you go through it from the official standpoint, I totally get it because you can find the evidence of where the stick is making that cross check. And so you have to say, all right, then this is what we've got to call. So Joe Manette and Matt Scott, they're doing their job. But where do we see, okay, let how much of this do we take into account? Because if you are calling it, are we looking and saying uh, this is the intent on the play? Because in my mind, if it's a major penalty, there's got to be some kind of intent to do something wrong, whether it is a slew foot or whether it is a check from behind or a check to the head, whatever it is, there should be intent on a major, but that's just me. So before we close out the podcast, Kyle, we had a chance to sit down with Scott Salmon, who is the senior vice president of hockey operations for Hockey Canada. He and other Hockey Canada management were at the game between the Knights and the Rangers doing some World Junior Championships, scouting lots of guys in that game on the radar. And we were able to sit back and talk about what his schedule has been like recently. Five nights in a row this week. Yeah, I started in Peterborough on uh, Wednesday. Um, and then I was out in uh, Drummondville, saw Drummondville, Victoriaville. I was back. Last night I was in Kingston, then here tonight, home for a couple days, do the laundry, and then off to uh, the Quebec League. So how exactly do you find the players that you are looking for? I mean, you're looking at so many games. You've got the country available to you, 19-year-olds, 18-year-olds. Every once in a while, somebody younger than that will be able to come into the equation. How do you narrow this down? Well, we're lucky because, first of all, we've got our under-17 program. So we start there. We get a good idea of our players. That's the foundation of our program for under-20. Under-18 starts to narrow that pyramid a little bit. So we've got a history and a book on guys. And then we're really fortunate to have great people across the Canadian Hockey League. Rob Simpson's one of them here from uh, London who give us an idea from each of the leagues. So we have two general managers uh, from each league that give us information, send information to me. This guy's popping. This guy's playing well. you got to get in to see this guy. And then I try to put it all together. And at the end, I'm responsible with Pete Anhold from the Leftbridge Hurricanes to bring together somewhere around 30 guys um, for our camp in Oakville. And then from there, we got to pick 23. So, you know, it's it sounds like a really big task, and it is. Uh, tonight's a great night for me because I've got, you know, a handful of guys in London. i got a guy in Kitchener. So this is a good game for me. I'm seeing five, six guys. You know, in, in Drummondville and Victoriaville the other night, I'm seeing one guy. So in some cases, I'm, I'm confirming what I've seen. In some cases, I'm taking guys off the list but in the end I got to get to 30 so it's it's a big country more than anything and some nights it's a one-off some nights it's a great night like tonight so you got to be as much as being able to evaluate players you got to be a master scheduler you got to be able to schedule your flights you got to schedule the games you got to try to put it all together and at the end you know hopefully win a gold medal Scott Salmon joining us senior vice president of hockey operations with Hockey Canada Jim Van Horn Scott could you profile the uh, Team Canada player for us in, in, in sort of the put together a, a robust 
profile, I guess. Sure. This is the best profile of you. A big guy who's got uh, real competitive and can skate. Unfortunately, they're not all, you know, you can't find them all the time. So that's what I'd like to find. But then you see guys here tonight, like, you know, Cowan, who's a real competitive guy. He's a smaller guy. We got a guy, uh, Dume, in uh, in Halifax. He's got uh, he's got 21 points in eight games. He's a five foot nine guy. Savoy, who's in the American League right now in Buffalo, is a five foot nine guy. You know, to me, what what I've learned over the years is is you get what you're given. You know, some years you've got big guys, some years you've got smaller guys. At the end of the day, we want skilled guys who can skate and are ultra competitive. And if you bring all three of those things, if you have two or three of those things, you can't play. You got to play on our team at Christmas. You got to have all three. At the World Juniors, sometimes Scott, you'll see a country that brings a lot of 19-year-olds one year. Then they'll almost go through a rebuilding year. Canada maintains that competitive level. How do you balance how many guys you're going to have at either age? It's a good question, too. And people will always tell you it's a 19-year-old tournament. I don't really buy into that. It's a, it's the best player tournament. And so, you know, again, you got some 18-year-olds in this game. you got uh, Marky, you got Cowan, you, you got Bonk. Those are real good 18-year-old players. You can't dismiss them because of their age. If they can play, then they're going to play. It doesn't matter if they're 18. Uh, Celebrini is, is playing with men in the NCAA. He's 17 years old. He's a heck of a player. So, you know, you gotta you got to park some of that. Some of it's maturity, but at the end of the day, we're just going to take the best players. And, you know, it, and people will say probably this year if we have five or six 18-year-olds, you know, you're building for next year. You want to build for Ottawa. We're, we're building. We're, we're trying to win every year. Can't like, do that If I'm Canada, trying to build yeah. for the next year, then I, I might not have my job next year. So we're just trying to build the best players. I don't care if they're 17, 18, or 19 years old. Scott, one more question. Where are we on goaltending? As you look at, uh, you know, you hear a lot. It's a controversial topic. Uh, where, you know, even for the ultimate Olympic team, where everybody's concerned about goaltending. Where are we at your level for goaltending? Yeah, it's another great question. It, you know, uh, so first of all, I got to admit, I had a son who played in the Canadian Hockey League for four years as a goalie. Okay. So I'm part of the goalie union by uh, okay. by default. But, you know, it, it, to me, goaltending is cyclical. I, I, you know, my son grew up in Calgary when Mika Kiprasov was the best player in Calgary. Everyone wanted to be a goalie. You know, we've had Carey Price. We had Marty Broder. We had Roberto Luongo. We had great role models in Canada who were goalies. So then some of our best athletes in the country wanted to be goalies. And now you're seeing at a time where we don't have those guys, those role models, and so we don't have as much of it. I, you know, for me, I think we still got good goaltenders. Uh, we need good goaltenders to have great performances. And so, you know, we hired Justin Pogge this year. He works for us full-time yeah. because of the question you asked. To not only find them, but to work with them and develop them. So he spends time uh, around the Canadian Hockey League not only evaluating goalies, he goes on the ice with them, practices with them, talks to them about what it's going to take to play at a world junior level. So we need to invest more time and energy into our goalies, not just pick them and hope. we, we got to pick them and spend some time with them and help them. It's the hardest position in the sport. At the World Juniors, you know, you can have a 20-minute show after the game just about our goaltending. So it takes a special player, a person, and we got to help them to just get real great performances over a two-week period that's going to give you a chance. We're going to have a good team. We're going to have good defense. We need it. We don't need a guy to be great. We need a guy to be real good, you know, for two weeks. Scott, best of luck on the rest of your travels and putting together the final puzzle pieces for Team Canada for this upcoming World Juniors. Thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Scott Salmon, Senior Vice President of Hockey Operations for Hockey Canada, as they look to get things together for the selection camp 
for Hockey Canada, which will be taking place in Ontario this year. Top decisions. Well, it's They are hugely <laughs> tough decisions. And how you keep track of everybody across the country, uh, that's, that's not easy. And it takes a lot of travel. As Scott says, sometimes you have to be a better organizer for scheduling flights and hotels and things than maybe picking up on what hockey players are doing. It all fits together. So, Kyle, we've got another three and three that we'll talk about later this week as the London Knights go to Windsor on Thursday, November 9th, come home to face the Owen Sound attack on Friday, November 10th, and then we'll host the Guelph Storm and have their Remembrance Day ceremony on Saturday, November 11th. Looking forward to it. Going to be a lot of fun. I feel like with this one, it's almost better the night start on the road on a Thursday. Then they get back-to-back home dates, maybe a little less travel this time, which will allow them to maybe get a little bit more rest for the couple of games and hopefully spread some stuff out for them. But we'll uh, preview the games on the next episode of the podcast, where you can follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Megaphone as well. We'll also share all the links on our social media pages, at Kyle Grimard, G-R-I-M-A-R-D, and at Stubbs980 with two Bs. Mike, we'll talk to you then. 